Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Find it in your Bibles, if you have Bibles, or electronic devices, or whatever else you like to use. Um, Acts 26 to 40. So Lord, just, just bless your word, we ask. Just, um, Father, that you would just help us to receive all that you have in store for us today. And uh, thank you just for your, your presence once again. Amen. You see, the gospel is perfect for all of your needs. It is the news that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for your sins, rose again. He died to destroy the power of hell and death and Satan and sin. And he has eternally triumphed over all of his enemies. So that now there is no condemnation for those who believe only everlasting joy. And he did it through the gospel of Jesus. John Piper writes, he says, you never, 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 you could probably put a few more in there if you wanted to, but three is probably enough, outgrow your need for the gospel. You don't begin the Christian life with this and then leave it behind and get stronger with something else. God strengthens you with the gospel to the day that you die. And last week we met a guy called Simon, known as Simon the Sorcerer, whose conversion was insincere. However, today we see a picture of what a true conversion looks like. And hopefully, hopefully we fully grasp how foundational, how essential the gospel is to our lives. So let's read some verses. So Acts 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly 
took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared in Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Now, Philip was not just a faithful preacher, he was an obedient personal worker. So even though he had been hard at work in Samaria, God had a very specific job for him to do. And like Jesus, he was willing to leave the crowds and minister to just one lost person. Philip was a man who loved people more than his own convenience. And the first thing I guess we notice about Philip's ministry is ministry was shaped by love. Now, in my opinion, much as it matters, I guess, but in my opinion, it doesn't seem the best use of resources. You know, Philip was in a busy place. He could reach lots of people, yet he's taken to reach just this one man. And perhaps God could have sent an angel, the angel directly to the Ethiopian, to tell him how to be saved. But God does, has not given the great commission to angels. He's given it to his people. By the way, that's you, that's me. See, angels have never personally experienced God's saving grace, so they cannot understand what it fully means to be saved. They, they can watch, they can see, they can rejoice in it, but they cannot know. It's not the way that you can know what it is to be saved through Christ. So what's God doing here? Well, God is opening up a new region to the gospel. Because at the heart of God is a love for the world that all may hear and know the sweet, sweet news of the gospel. And out of a godly love, Philip went willingly because he cared for people's souls. It's said that D.L. Moody once asked a man about his soul, but the man replied to him, it's none of your business. Oh yes, it is my business, Moody said. Well then, the man replied, you must be D.L. Moody. You see, such was Moody's reputation, such was his desire to see people saved that people expected him to ask such questions. But it is every Christian's responsibility to share the gospel with others and to do it without fear, without apology. And Philip sets a great example for all of us to follow. So Philip's ministry if it's first of all shaped by love. Secondly, I think Philip's ministry is shaped by listening. See, to begin with, God gives very clear direction to Philip. In verse 26, Philip is directed by what I can, I guess, best describe as an angelic satnav. Takes him to the right person at the right time in exactly the right place. Now, I don't know how it works, but very accurate. Very accurate indeed. Then in verse 29, the Holy Spirit tells him exactly where to go, where to stand near to a certain chariot. Then in verse 32... It's the word of God through the scriptures that brings direction. And God specifically guides Philip to this one very specific man so that he can hear the gospel. Now it's probably unlikely that you or I are going to get angels instructing us. 
But if you're walking with the Spirit and praying for His direction, all of us can know the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Listen, God can powerfully direct you in many different ways. Rachel's already talked about dreams as one possibility, of course. But you should note here the Spirit's direction and the centrality of God's word in this encounter and actually in the rest of Acts. So even as the Holy Spirit guides Philip in this conversation with this Ethiopian, the Lord uses the word of God and the ministry of Philip in partnership as a mechanism for the conversion of this Ethiopian. But it's only because Philip is listening and responding to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. I think our temptation sometimes is to wish for the supernatural displays of God. And we do long to see God move in signs and wonders. Listen, miracles can be a powerful pointer to point people to Jesus Christ. But listen, the simple act of listening to the Spirit and stepping out in faith is just as supernatural as any dramatic healing. And more often than not, there are no dramatic signs. Instead, it is the gentle prompting of the Spirit and the Word of God that God delights to use to convert the lost and to expand His kingdom. So listen, listen, listen to His voice. Listen carefully. God was not only working through Philip here, he was also working through the life of this Ethiopian. But who was this man? Well, the Ethiopian man was an important figure in a foreign government. He didn't come from what we know of as Ethiopia today. His home was in ancient Nubia, which is south of Egypt. He was a eunuch. Now, a eunuch generally refers to a man who has been castrated, I know wincing slightly myself, in order to, to serve a very specific social function. But it also can just be a term that refers to his position rather than to his genitals or lack of. But as an Ethiopian, he was not allowed to become a Jewish, or at least a full Jewish convert. However, he was allowed to become a God-fearer. And he certainly was devoted enough to have traveled a long way to go to the temple, a distance of probably over 200 miles to Jerusalem in order to worship God. And keen enough to be reading Isaiah on his journey home. But interestingly, his heart was not fully satisfied. There's something missing still. However, God is working very clearly in this man's life. So he drew him to Jerusalem. He placed a copy of Isaiah in his hands. He stimulated his curiosity to want to understand it. And listen, God is always working, often unseen to us, often unknown. We have no idea often what he's doing in the life of somebody else until we make that contact with them. But I wonder how often we can miss the opportunities because we simply aren't listening to the Spirit. Don't be mistaken. God is speaking today. But are we listening? Robbie Dawkins tells a story of a woman who phoned him. And she began the conversation with these words. 
I, I don't know what to ask. I don't go to church. In fact, I'm not even a Christian. I just picked your church randomly from a phone book because my father is going through major heart surgery right now and it, he's in bad shape. And I don't think he's going to make it. And Robbie didn't really know what to say. He knew he should offer to pray, although he didn't really want to. It just seemed a hopeless situation. So he said reluctantly, well, I could pray for him. And what he really wanted to do was to end the conversation just as quickly as possible because he wasn't expecting anything to change as a result of his prayers. I guess I've been there myself, have you? But then he began to pray. His prayer sounded like a eulogy rather than a prayer. So he began, Lord, just be with this man's family at this difficult time. You are close to the brokenhearted. Help them, comfort them. He was pretty much burying this man with his prayers. And all the time he's thinking, why would God want to heal this man? Then the Lord spoke something to him that he didn't understand. He sensed that God was saying, go out on a limb. What do you mean, God? He felt God urge him again, take a risk. What was he supposed to do? Then he remembered the scripture verses that say, open wide your mouth and I will fill it. Without having any real idea what he was going to say, he began to speak, I hear God say that he is about to and the word sort of fumbled out of his mouth and then he heard himself say completely heal your father give him a brand new heart in fact he's going to give him a brand new lungs as well when he realized what he said he almost had a panic attack what had he done? He, he tried to backtrack and, and make excuses. I'm not very good at this. Normally when I pray for people, they just get worse. This is probably not going to happen. And all he could think about was how unfairly he treated her. He'd raised this woman's hopes only for them to be dashed. But she said, my dad's going to get a brand new heart. Thank you. And hung up the phone. When the woman, when the woman called back, in tears a few hours later, his heart sunk and he began to apologize, thinking that he had killed her dad with his prayer. He said, I am so, so sorry. She replied, what are you talking about? He's doing great. And through her tears, she told him how when the doctors opened him up, there was a brand new heart. In fact, he'd previously had heart surgery and there were many scars on the previous heart, but now he had a heart of a young man. She went on to say, what I didn't tell you was that he had half of his lung removed on, one, on that same side. And when they looked inside, he had a full lung where the half lung used to be. And Robbie was so shocked that the woman actually asked him if he was a real pastor. See, this is in many ways a dramatic story. And God works in many different ways, but this is the reality of God's power and his desire to work through you if you're willing to step out for him. You simply need to be available. You need to listen to the Holy Spirit. And Philip's ministry is marked by love. It's marked by listening but it's also marked and shaped by obedience. 
As Philip draws near to this chariot, he hears the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Now, in those days, it was pretty normal to read, for students to read out loud. And God had already prepared this man's heart to receive what Philip was going to say to him. But listen, if you obey the leading of the Holy Spirit, you can be sure that God will go before you and will open up the way for your witness. But perhaps what is striking about this eunuch's attitude is his openness to admit his ignorance and his need for a teacher. He's reading the words, he doesn't understand them, but he's not afraid to ask for help. And his big question is, who is Isaiah talking about? And therefore, what does this all mean? And Philip arrives at this divinely appointed time because he obeys God, because he's listening to the words of the, to the voice of the Holy Spirit, and because he loves people. And he is the right man to do this job because he knows that the Old Testament is all about Jesus. And you need to understand this, that all of Scripture is pointing towards one man, Jesus Christ. See, the Old Testament is just rich in just wonderful teaching about Jesus, so don't ignore it. There's a temptation for us to think that we are New Testament Christians and we don't need the Old Testament. But listen, you need to be biblical Christians. Reading the Old Testament and and the New Testament in equal measure. See, the Old Testament is foundational to your understanding of God's amazing grace and his redemptive plan for humanity. And all of Scripture is leading us to Jesus Christ. It is ultimately about him. The passage that the Ethiopian was reading is a perfect example of this, of course. Isaiah 53 It is the prophecy of God's suffering servant. It describes Jesus at his birth in verses 1 and 2. This is the words of Isaiah. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. And then in verse 3, it talks about the life and the ministry of Jesus He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. And then in verses four to nine, it talks about the substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus Christ, where Jesus gave his life for you and for me. In fact, these are the verses, particularly verses seven and eight, that the Ethiopian is focusing in on as Philip comes alongside him. This is what Isaiah says, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people. He was punished. And then finally in verses 10, 11, and 12, 
we read about Jesus' victorious resurrection. The one who bore the sins of many rose from the dead and made intercession for the transgressors. And as the Ethiopian is reading um, how Jesus is described as a willing sacrifice for sinners, where Jesus gave up his right as a human, leading to his own death, and as Philip explains the verses to him, he begins to understand the gospel because the Holy Spirit opens his mind to the truth of God's word. It's not enough for a sinner to desire salvation. You must also understand God's plan of salvation, but without the Holy Spirit, there is no understanding. It is the heart that understands the word revealed through the power of the Holy Spirit that will bear fruit. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 13, 25. He tells the story of the seeds that fall on good soil, referring to someone who hears the word and then understands it. This is the one that produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what is sown. And as the seed of the word of God is sown, listen, that's your responsibility to proclaim the word, to sow the seed. It is the Holy Spirit who then comes in and waters and produces life. In Ephesians 2, Paul explains, I think, helpfully the stark contrast that exists between those who know Jesus and those who don't. And he bluntly says that before you knew Jesus, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And the thing about dead people is that they don't have life. They don't hear. They don't see. No amount of shouting or waving at them or words of encouragement or care for them is going to get a response. Before you knew Jesus, you were a spiritual zombie. And the worst thing about it all, you didn't know. You had no idea. You didn't know that you were the walking dead, cut off from God, no hope of finding him because you're born in sin, you're born to death. Listen, you're not spiritually dead because you sinned. You're spiritually dead because by nature you are sinful. And it's this condition, in this condition you have zero love for God, zero response to his word, zero desire for his glory. Yes, you may be physically alive and kicking, but in a way that is totally opposed to spiritual life, enslaved by your own desires, trapped by Satan, and you don't even know it. And there are thousands of people walking the streets of Chester in that condition. And they need both to hear the word of God, your responsibility, but also they need the Holy Spirit to come and open their eyes That's what God does. But we need to sow the seed. We need to be spreading the word. But of course, Paul doesn't finish there. In verse four, he goes on to say, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. As the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to the truth of God's word, as you repent of your sin in a prayer of faith, Jesus cancels out the curse of death in his amazing grace, and he replaces it with his glorious life, and he positions you with himself. 
It says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in this coming age he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. There's one thing about dead people that they need more than anything else and that is to be alive. And God has made you alive in Christ. And if he is powerful enough to take you from death to life, he is powerful enough to sustain you and to keep you. And what he can do for you, he can do for others. You've got to believe it. God is a God of salvation. Redeemer. Lord. In fact, this is exactly what happened to this Ethiopian that day. He believed in Jesus Christ. He came to faith and he was born again. And the impact was so great that he immediately insisted on stopping and being baptized. He wanted everyone to know what Jesus had done for him. Now, presumably he's heard something about baptism from somewhere else. Whatever the case, his decision mirrored the pattern of the other converts in Acts who repented who believed, who were baptized, and who joined the new community of God's people. And throughout the book of Acts, baptism is an important part of a believer's commitment to Jesus and their witness to him. In those days, in the days of the early church, converts were not baptized unless they, first of all, give a very clear testimony of their faith in Jesus. For this Ethiopian, at least in his case, he's not just speaking to Philip, but also to those who are traveling with him. They would have heard probably everything that's being talked about here. And being an important man, you can imagine that those watching are listening very carefully to what he is saying. This encounter then abruptly ends. With the Ethiopian carrying on in his journey, he goes home rejoicing. Listen, this guy is radically, radically changed. Just rejoicing in the love of God for him. As for Philip, he sort of seems to just disappear. He's whisked away by the Holy Spirit to minister somewhere else. It's an unusual phenomenon, but it is the supernatural power of the Spirit at work. But it's not unique to Philip. It's not very common either. It appears actually in 1 Kings 18 and verse 12 that the prophet Elijah was sometimes carried by the Spirit in a similar manner. But just one comment on this. Although more often than not, God follows the rules of nature that he himself created, however, he is not confined by them. God is not limited by gravity. He's not limited by time. He's not confined by anything. His spirit works in ways that sometimes we just struggle to fully understand. But do not limit what God can do or even how he's going to do it. Philip ends up in a place called Azotus, about 20 miles from Gaza, from there, he makes his way to Caesarea, a journey of about 60 miles. While the Holy Spirit didn't just take him straight there, well, actually, the Bible tells us why. Like Peter, like John, Philip preached his way. 
He's spreading the gospel as he goes. And Philip carries on following the leading of the Holy Spirit. In fact, 20 years later, you can find Philip living in Caesarea and still serving God as an evangelist in Acts 21, verse 8. And you need to have this same willingness, the same openness to take the gospel message to anyone and to everyone. And your service should be shaped by love, by listening to the Spirit by obedience to the word of God. And as we trace the expansion of the gospel from chapter two to chapter 10, we see how the Holy Spirit is reaching out to the whole world. It's interesting to note that after the flood in Genesis, the whole world was repopulated through Noah's three sons, Shem, Ham, Jephthah. This Ethiopian was a convert here in Acts chapter 8, was actually a descendant of Ham. In Acts chapter 9, Paul of Sarsus, who was saved, was a Jew and a descendant of Shem. In chapter 10, the Gentiles who found Christ were descendants of Jephthah. And God wants the whole world to know the good news of the gospel. In fact, Right before our eyes, he is fulfilling Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Started in Jerusalem, big tick. Judea, big tick. Samaria, big tick. And then to the ends of the world. And God is working. And God is moving. And you need to understand and reflect on God's insatiable desire for the gospel to be spread and for concern about individuals. See, no one, no one is too other for him. This eunuch was probably a more unusual guy, but no one is beyond the reach of God. There's probably one more clear lesson I think that we can learn from this, these verses from this story. And it's this. Even if you are a struggling evangelist, and that's me, if I'm honest, the Holy Spirit is not a struggling evangelist. And so if you just get a sense that God wants to, you to say something to someone, you need to learn to step out in faith. And even though you may not be comfortable with the whole idea of evangelism, the Holy Spirit is comfortable with it. And he is the ultimate evangelist pointing people to Jesus. And as you step out in dependence on him, as you follow his small promptings, he will teach you how to reach people. However, many of us expect that God, through the Holy Spirit, is going to take control of our bodies or, or maybe take movement of our arms and our legs or really just shout really loudly into our head. Listen, that is not the way he works. He wants you to step out in faith. And often, it is not until you open up your mouth to speak that he will give you the words to say, God wants you to be yourself and to go as yourself. So as you reach out to people, you can discover more of who God is. And as you do this, you will see an increase in the Holy Spirit in your life. But there's a real danger that we can become theoretical in our faith and never see it worked out practically through our lives. In fact, Paul says that my message 
My preaching was not with wise or persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4. And the truth is we need both the Word of God and the Spirit of God. You can't biblically, of course, have one without the other. Word without Spirit is dry and dead. Spirit without Word is freaky and just odd. And both extremes are dangerous to our faith. So if you want to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, you need to preach the gospel and to demonstrate God's power to people. See, when people see the power of God tangibly touch someone's life, whether through healing, whether through a miracle, or through a word of knowledge, it can flick a spiritual switch in their head. But it's much more than just about miracles or about healings. God's kingdom is always about the king. It's about the revelation that Jesus is king and that he is the one who brings reconciliation to his people. And if you want to move more in the things of the Spirit and be more effective in seeing the lost save, seek his presence. Seek him. Spend time in the Word and prayer. Listen, there are no shortcuts. Seek his presence when no one is looking in the quietness of your home. Let Jesus affect every part of your life. So listen, what you do with your girlfriend or your boyfriend matters. How you speak to your spouse matters. The way you drive your car or the way you speak to the waitress in a restaurant, it matters. Honor the Lord in every part of your life, both publicly and privately. Listen, if you're looking for some shortcuts... You can th- and you think you can, do- you can sort of skip godly character or bypass growing in the fruits of the Spirit, you are mistaken. It's not even getting involved with ministry is a way out. Be filled with the Spirit and live in His presence. There are no shortcuts into the presence of God and the fullness of His Spirit. And if God is calling you to obedience in a certain area of your life, give it over to him. If you're living with unrepentance, get down on your knees again and repent. In his love, he is calling you to come closer to him. And sometimes it's easy to trust God in the dramatic when the sick are healed, when demons are cast out. But the greatest miracle of all is the person who responds in faith to Jesus, who chooses to live in complete obedience to him. Listen, I'm praying for breakthrough. I'm praying for breakthrough in salvation. I'm praying for healing on our streets, that God would move in our city. But it will come when God's people prayerfully submit to him and are filled with his spirit and love as Jesus loved. And listen to the Spirit the way that Jesus listened to the Spirit. And obey as Jesus obeyed his Father in heaven. Is that us? Well, actually, only you can answer that for yourself. Let's just stand together, we pray. Lord, I just love these stories. I love the stories, Lord, of, in this book of Acts, Lord, that just, just speak of your saving power. Just demonstrate, Lord, how your spirit moves. And Lord, I pray, God, that even today, Lord, we will not just think of this as sort of ancient history, 
But realize that this is today. The same spirit who was active with Philip, with, the, with this Ethiopian, is the same Holy Spirit that is speaking to each of us today, if we will only listen. And Father, I just want to pray against the blockages that just close our ears down, the blockages Lord, that just stop us from being able to respond. I want to pray in the name of Jesus that you would just open up our spiritual ears to listen. And for me, it's a matter of just giving some time. How often we busy ourselves with so many other things and perhaps... Perhaps today you need to make a commitment to Jesus to say, Jesus, I want to give you time, my time. Rather than just rushing to the next thing, you take time, you make a commitment to follow, to listen, to obey, and to love. To love one another and to love Christ with all of your heart. And Lord, we've got to be honest and we say we can't do this without your help. So Holy Spirit, I just again welcome you here, just invite you to come and just to put and just fix these words, fix truth into our hearts in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Just come and minister to us. But we choose to receive. We make a choice, don't we? We choose to receive from you. So Father, even as we just go through the rest of today, Lord, into this week, Lord, that we would just be receptive to all that you're doing, all that you're saying. And we pray that in your precious name, Lord Jesus, giving you glory, giving you honor, the one who loves, the one who redeems, the one who saves. But lead us, lead us, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.